0: Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Avengers: Infinity War.
1: The entire time I knew him, he only ever had one goal. To wipe out half the universe. If he gets all the infinity stones, he can do it with the snap of his fingers.
2: Just like that.
0: Tell me his name again.
1: Thanos.
3: We got one advantage. He's coming to us. We have what
0: Thanos wants. So that's what we use.
2: Still exist. Perfectly balanced. As all things should be. And I hope they remember you.
4: Peter, by
0: the way. Dr. Strange.
1: Oh, I'm using your made up names, then I am Spider-Man.
0: And welcome back to our seemingly never-ending run of Marvel shows. With us this time are regular guest spot Brendan Agnew of Synapse.
3: Pleasure to be here.
0: Lauren Greve of our Sucker Punch and upcoming Guillermo del Toro shows.
4: Hello there.
0: And the toughest princess, aside from possibly Leia, Theo Lee of New Century.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Permit me an opening spiel here, and this is going to get heavy and serious. Infinity War is unlike any previous MCU movie for a variety of reasons, but principally because the previous 18 have all dealt with arcs for their central good guy heroes, usually resulting in them becoming better people and better heroes. Tony, then Bruce, then Tony again, then Thor, then Steve, then all the Avengers, then Tony again, then Loki, then Steve again, then all the Guardians of the Galaxy, then Wanda and Vision, then Scott, then Tony and Steve, debatably, though they are both badly wounded inside and out, then Stephen Strange, then all the Guardians, especially Peter, Gamora, Nebula, Rocket and Yondu, then other Peter, Parker, Thor and Loki and Valkyrie and Hulk and Scourge and T'Challa. They are stories of growth and expanding wisdom and worldview. It's not about the powers. Those are just the reasons to learn to be more responsible. It's about the growth. And almost nobody grows in Avengers Infinity War. Nobody changes their worldview, and very few are challenged beyond the comprehension of the cosmic stakes. All except Thanos. This movie is actually about him, and it features a guest cast so huge and colorful they almost eclipse him but clearly this titan goes from being grimly certain about what he must do from the smug turd in the spinning throne in guardians of the galaxy one to the angel of death at the opening a figurehead of fear able to take down the hulk with relative ease cast down thor and murder one of my favorite characters of all time loki to being somewhat taken aback by gamora's murder of his projected self and then at her pain and her loss and then attempting to reason with her as to the validity of his self-appointed holy quest of destruction, still coming off a little bit like Ronan with more of an explanation, and then having to destroy her to see this through. Thanos is juxtaposed against a variety of characters in the film who are handed the same beat to deal with and who handle it differently. Give up the Infinity Stone, or someone you love dies right here and now, and then who knows what will happen after that, but they will definitely be dead. Loki was challenged first. He gave the Space Stone up for Thor's life after bluffing. Then, in a foolhardy, absurdly brave move, defying his prior cowardice, he attempts to assassinate Thanos and is killed. Peter, that's Quill, is tasked with killing Gamora to protect the Soul Stone. He hesitates, but ultimately keeps his promise. However, Thanos controls every atom, and he is unable to complete the action. Thanos is told he must kill the one he loves, and he does so, but after hesitating even longer than Peter... Stephen Strange, like Loki, hands over the Time Stone with no real fight at all to save Stark's life, in a moment that I suspect may have been entirely pivotal. Wanda hesitates for many hours and ultimately, like Thanos, is able to kill the one she loves for what she perceives as the greater good. But again, Thanos controls time and her dreadful moment of sacrifice is undone. So moment after moment of individuals weighing up the lives of others and nearly breaking under the pressure... It is a fitting, repeated dilemma to attempt opposition of the one being who decided he was going to have to do the unthinkable for what he perceived as the far-reaching right reasons. Further still, as Thanos explains to Stephen Strange the extent of his conviction and the good intentions behind the worst of actions, it's clear something has changed in him as a result of this journey, and his expression in the last shot of the film, beyond doing the unthinkable, is one of the most complex I have ever seen on a face that wasn't made of real flesh and blood. There's satisfaction and regret and a sense of finality within those polygons. He's the worst monster in the history of existence, and yet he's able to make some form of peace with that. Nearly everything he goes through is internal, and that makes him one of not only Marvel's, but cinema's greatest villains, not least because he wins. From the moment Heimdall died, in fact before that, when I realised that so many of the last few Asgardians, the ones we thought were safe, the little ray of hope in the face of total annihilation, had been snuffed out, I began to mourn. This was something I'd been preparing for for years. It's caused me months' worth of anxiety because I care about this world. And then Loki died, and I was crying. And later Gamora died, and Vision died. And then half of everyone winked out of existence. And that was so appalling an incident that I didn't know how to cope, how to process, how to think, how to grieve. It was too much and too big. And yet, as Spider-Man and Black Panther and Doctor Strange disintegrated, my brain and I'd estimate most of yours, thought, hang on, what about all those money-spinning sequels? We know that Spider-Man 2 is coming next year after Infinity War's follow-up wraps, and then it's partly set in London, and we know that Black Panther was an extraordinary success, and Marvel would be insane not to do a Black Panther 2. We know this must continue, and yet it ends. So what we're being shown feels illusory, unreal, confusing, not warranted, a fabrication, a web of lies. The perfect parallel is when Thanos convinces Gamora she has killed him. It tears an emotional reaction out of her, and then he walks in and writes things. On YouTube, I composed a short piece whereby the Fellowship of the Ring goes to end credits, just after Gandalf falls in Moria, where Back to the Future 2 ends after Doc is struck by lightning where Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest concludes with Jack Sparrow's surviving friends desperately missing him, where Empire Strikes Back concludes as Luke hangs underneath Cloud City asking why Ben didn't tell him Vader was his father. All of them felt abrupt, jarring, shocking, incomplete, because we know what's coming next – Gandalf the White, confronting Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli, and Fangorn, the fellow from Western Union with a 70-year-old letter from the dock, and the intrusion of Marty Two on the exit of Marty One. the riotous return of Captain Barbosa and his zombie monkey, and the courageous rescue of Luke by Leia, Chewie, and Lando, followed by a quiet moment in the medical frigate to reconnect, as Luke is given a brand new hand that a rescue mission is planned. We did not get to see the Avengers regroup and come to terms with what they had just witnessed. We were not given that crumb of hope and that is very unusual and it may not have sat right with many people because we know how movies work how the darkness comes before the dawn how this feels like leaving a story off half done imagine watching deathly hallows part one if no book existed it's that level of unsettling so after seeing it the first time i didn't know how to mourn i knew some were dead but others were only mostly dead, or now had a Schrodinger's existence. My mind played over the ways that this could be fixed, but it felt almost like this first film was useless, even purposefully misleading on its own, and should not even really be discussed until it had been resolved in a year when we finally get to see the resolution. But there had to be more than that. I spent an age after the first viewing, trying to extract meaning from what could be considered a vertical buffet of epic action set-pieces, teaming up our established heroes in unexpected combinations. My realisation dawned the second viewing, as it often does, the ability to see the ends and take in the shape of the whole, at least of this one film, in terms of the events as they occur to the characters within this time-frame, not in terms of the overall production canvas that it adds a measure of perspective that going in all tense and excited and fearful doesn't. You see, now I knew we were going to lose. Now the true weight of the cost came to bear, and yet I watched these knights and vagabonds struggle nonetheless, and I could not get Dylan Thomas out of my head. And this should really have a visual element, so could everyone please picture in your minds the battles in Wakanda and on Titan as the Avengers and their allies fight in slow motion? Their frail deeds might have danced in a green bay. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Wild men who caught and sang the sun in flight, And learned too late, they grieved it on its way. Do not go gentle into that good night. Grave men near death, who see with blinding sight, We fight on, we do not give up, but what Infinity War lays down in a way almost no other story of this kind has been able to convey, is that there will be times when not ever giving up is still not enough. And we lose, we fail, the light dies. Some of the final words spoken are, O oh man, and O oh God mirroring the utter horror of mortals in the face of forces we cannot control, forces we reckoned on and understood too late, baleful calamity we told ourselves we might see through if we could but unify before the end. And as we gaze into this abyss, our brothers fall to dust, our sisters become nothing but air, and the worst of possible futures makes itself known as our children fade away before our eyes. Pleading for reprieve. Looking to us for help. And there
5: are many paths to tread.
0: And we are left to mourn their passing in the silent sunset.
5: Through shadow.
0: Old men and women pass their prime.
5: Through the edge of night.
0: With no more battles left to fight.
5: Until the stars are all
0: alive. This is the nightmare of humanity. The coldness that we fear may be waiting in later years, the most profound of terrors. Whatsoever marvels may be waiting down the road, whatever deeper magic is woven to in some ways undo or subvert or separate this, the truth of that horror is in the eyes of those left standing. Or else crumpled to the floor, unable to walk amidst the ruins of what might have been life, continued. it was going to get heavy
3: it's darkest before the dawn and we know that intellectually as a species but what so much of our entertainment um is so ready to give to us is to give us that as a midpoint before a catharsis and when you're when you're living through life when you're living through those darkest moments you can say to yourself i know that tomorrow's a new day i know that maybe i can find some way to make this better but just because you know that intellectually doesn't mean that the hurt that you feel in that moment is any less i mean these are these are fictional characters these you know none of this stuff is happening is is real but this whole franchise kind of dates back to a cheated death in captain america that still has long-lasting consequences. Just because Steve Rogers didn't die in the ice doesn't mean that his sacrifice had no consequence. And Avengers Infinity War is sort of that playing out on an even more dire scale. Because we already know that just because maybe half or three-fourths of these people can come back, that doesn't mean that they haven't still ripped holes in the people who loved them and they left behind. Because, I mean, you, you can't just fix that with a hand wave and make the hurt go away. The hurt can heal, but it doesn't disappear the way that these people have.
4: While I was watching the, the film, I didn't... I shed no tears at the end, because it was far more melancholy than sadness. Uh, the only tears that I shed during the film were actually more happy... Uh, when uh, Captain American shows up to save Vision and uh, Scarlet Witch in Scotland was like a very triumphant moment and I found myself tearing up there, but not at the end. Uh, but the moment that struck me, I went and saw this with my old roommate who is a far bigger comic book fan than I am. And uh, the moment when they started raining down the... Triangular ships full of the the crazy forearm tyrannid dog things, and one of them was headed towards Wakanda proper. My friend, he did not intend to do this, but he reached over and grabbed my hand because he was so tense at the thought that one of those things is going to crush this this city, this paradise that he had gotten very invested in. And and I even mentioned it to him later. I was like, you know, you, you, did you realize you did that? He's like, no, I had no idea. I was so in the moment. And it was just that seeing that impact on him was very meaningful for me, I guess I can say.
1: If any other movie franchise were to end a, an installment, like... It wouldn't have been earned... I think Marvel has earned this ending without a catharsis, as you said. Um, they've earned it because they've put in the work. They've they've put in the work over the past eighteen movies. We know all of these characters and they we, we know them well enough, at least, that none of them were out of context and we didn't not care about any of them or how any of them ended up. So ending it like that they've they've earned the right to ask a leap of faith out of the viewers. I'm optimistic about where the story is going. I I really hope that they reward our faith uh, that that they're not going they're going to commit to the consequences of this and not just hit a big fat reset button. They they're asking us to trust them that the story is going to go somewhere worthwhile and that all these deaths are going to mean something. It doesn't feel like it means something now, but you know it's it's pretty dark right now so we we just got to keep our heads down and wait for it and i think they're going to deliver i really i really do
3: and they're they're playing fair i mean to to bring up harry potter and the deathly hallows uh, the the reason i appreciate what they did with infinity war not making it a part 1 part 2 is with infinity war they definitively answer the story question that they pose that's the the central story of the movie. Can Earth's heroes stop Thanos from getting all the infinity stones and using the gauntlet to accomplish his goal? They answer that question and the answer is no. Um, the you know with Harry Potter the question that's posed is can Harry get all the horcruxes to stop Voldemort? And they haven't answered the question by the end of that movie, which is why it feels so you know, abrupt. Um, Infinity War feels very abrupt because we're not used to getting no as that answer. There's always a, you know, with, with Avengers, it's yes, the Avengers can come together and stop Loki. You know, most comic book movies of this, there's always a yes. Sometimes there's some tragedy and it's yes. However, they lose some friends along the way. Um, Yes. But, you know, it costs them this, but we haven't seen, that kind of definitive no they just couldn't do it this time that's not always pleasant to see but it's structurally sound it's i mean marvel is marvel's playing fair here they're playing by their the rules that they've established and they're saying no they just didn't win this time and we're just going to have to see the fallout of that which is going to be i mean we can speculate on it but that's going to inevitably be part of whatever catharsis they can get later is, you know, you just have to deal with failure. And that's not something that the Avengers have dealt with very well in the past. A
0: hostile alien army came charging through a hole in space. We're standing 300 feet below it. We're the Avengers. We can
2: bust arms dealers all the live long day, but that up there, that's, that's
0: the end game. How were you guys planning on beating that? Together. We'll lose. And we'll do that together too.
5: The significant element was the way they structured the story and... There were points throughout the film where there was a part of my brain that was saying you should be finding this vaguely dissatisfying. I am never particularly taken by uh, the action set pieces in even Marvel movies. It it takes a lot for an action set piece to really grab me in the same emotional way that the character development in the the interim moments um, does. But the way the action was crafted together in this... First off, in a, in a normal movie three-act structure, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which a lot of people have made much of the fact that Marvel tend to stick to fairly rigidly. There's a sense of breathing throughout the film. You, you're breathing in <sighs> to the point where you get to sort of that lowest moment and then they break through and then you have the breathe out and the catharsis and then everything coalesces at the end. And... This was all breathing in. There's peaks and troughs, but there's no real opportunity for any out-breaths to take place. And that, more than anything else, had me feeling that there's so much more to come afterwards. The end of the film didn't feel like the end of the film. It felt like an interval to me. I think they're playing Power of Three... With the, we don't trade lives. Steve says it first, then Vision reminds him of it. And I think that theme is definitely going to come into play later. The, the combination of these things should have intellectually distanced me from what was going on in the film. And what completely knocked me for six was the fact that it didn't in spite of what I'm sure will have many, many cynical reviewers, I wouldn't even say coming out of the woodwork, because they're always there, saying, well, we know this isn't going to happen, and we know that, and and the whole, you know, obviously there's going to be a Black Panther too, so obviously T'Challa's not really, you know, gone forever. I couldn't think that way. It's like the people who
0: say that Groot's sacrifice wasn't really a sacrifice. He came back, he was a baby.
5: Yeah. But as James Gunn has pointed out repeatedly, that's not the group you knew. That's his son. Um, but um, He's an asshole. Yeah. He called me that
0: guy. <laughs> <laughs> I am Groot.
5: Um, Whoa! <laughs> I got to the end of it and I thought, I really... There wasn't even any, any conscious buying into it. I didn't have to kind of manually override my brain to say, well, yes, I know all that, but just, you know, get into it and enjoy it. The moments of pain that were being, I can't even say sold, portrayed by the actors were too solid and too real to me um, for any of that, you know, production knowledge or... Uh, even recognition of anything going on outside the fact that this was a story to really take place. And, and it, uh, that really, really threw me. That surprised me that something that was so action-heavy um, and had so little of what we've come to expect in terms of classical character development from Marvel could engage me emotionally so much.
0: I think that's why you and I both really are still affected by the calamitous events at the end of amazing spider-man 2 uh because even though that movie is actually very cynical on the part of the writers in the studio Mm. the actors sold it extremely well they did did. to to us i mean a lot of people just hate that scene i can only see the the cogs of the machine working around the actual drama
5: Mm. see i can't i can't shut that
0: off Mm. If Thanos needs L6, why don't we just stick this one down to garbage disposal? No can do. We swore an oath to protect the Time Stone with our lives. And I swore off dairy, but then Ben and Jerry's named a flavor after me, so... Stark raving hazelnuts. Not bad. A bit chalky.
4: My favorite theme going through this was actually very much Thanos, and the theme of the dark, brooding anti-hero, in a sense, where he, th- he thinks he's the only one who can bear this dark burden that he has to do what has to be done and If there is even a 1% chance. I
3: almost feel bad for for making this comparison, but with, with what they've accomplished with Thanos, it almost seems like the most savage dunking in history coming so soon after Steppenwolf and Justice League, if I didn't know that that were basically coincidental, because they're, structurally speaking, fulfilling the same purpose, but one is just like an empty vessel and the other is basically old Joe from Looper or, like, a a video game dad turned up to the maximum Hmm. worst possible levels of "I I have experienced a loss that I feel has taught me a lesson and therefore I will impose my will upon you to take away your free will in this situation because I know what's right. You know, that sort of, like, toxic masculinity. Oh, I have to bear this burden, but... You know, you you just have to trust me because I am weighty and heroic and experienced.
0: Old Joe's a really good comparison, and it, it's it's super ironic that uh, Bruce Willis's most recent film, uh, my dead family film, is a uh, Death Wish. Death Wish. Yeah. That he's imposing his will upon all sorts of people, but nobody saw it, so it's fine.
4: <laughs> and and that really makes me think back to what Sharon was just saying about the intake of breath, because. It, throughout the whole film, like you said, the audience is, like, breathing in and holding it, and all the characters are kind of, like, anticipating. And in the end, it's Thanos that gets to breathe out.
0: Mm. Hmm. And at, in all, like if you look at it as uh, it's his MCU movie, he has the all-is-lost moment when he throws Gamora.
4: Here lies everything The world I wanted at my feet my victory is complete, so hail to the king. You ever... Arise and see.
0: Well, you got everything you wanted. And you just had to give up, as, as he says, everything. It's, it's, it's not so much an all is lost and now I'm going to lose. It's a all is lost and now I'm going to win. And so he soldiers on. From his
3: perspective, that's his hero's journey. The subversion of expectations, and is, is Captain America going to die? Is Tony Stark going to die? And what we're left with is instead the surviving Avengers are basically, you know, mostly the core team, as it were. And so we get to come kind of full circle to the promise... Of Tony Stark talking to Loki about, if we can't save the world, we'll for damn sure avenge it. And that's that's basically the only play they have left now, which again is something we've not seen from them before.
5: And that is something that, looking at it in a particular way, Tony has cursed them to this. He said that to Thanos, or about Thanos, that they would avenge the Earth. The last few films have been about the preparation of a next generation to take over from them so that they can do what Hawkeye wanted to do and lay down the sword and go home and pick up the plowshare. If the younger generation is gone, they can't do that. They are condemned to continue avenging the Earth.
0: This film is haunting.
3: and there are so many times when you, when you feel like they could really pull it off because that's what would happen and the they're a movie like Thor's big arrival in Wakanda is one of the, the biggest stand up and throw your hands in the air and cheer moments in the MCU and they, they do that a whole lot like they're, they're so close here and they're so close there and yay we've got Cap on the field and we're going to be able to get through this and no 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 you thought so but no
4: Thanos is clearly the main character, but if there was another main character, it's so Thor. He's... Mm. Like, you say that no, none of the, the quote-unquote heroes change, but he sure did. You know, he loses everything in the opening moments, and then loses anything he has left. And, and to the point where he becomes self-destructive. He, he becomes very, like, despondent in just seeking revenge, and he becomes so single-minded considering that it is such a swing around from where he ended ragnarok as like wiser and uh more ready to rule and more ready to be king and to have that that future stolen from him so abruptly and so completely at the very opening of this film and then every scene that you see him in he is just pushing himself further and further down a path of destruction because he has lost everything long before everything is lost, if that makes sense. And he becomes Rage Thor.
0: A potentially greater loss than Loki, or even than Thor for the universe, is that Thanos killed half of the remaining Asgardians, as he is wont to do. Although actually, when he's demonstrating the half thing, He's given Gamora that little double-ended dagger, and she's trying to balance it, and he kills everyone on the left-hand side as she's doing that, and says, don't look. That's the equivalent of snapping off one of those knife blades, thus totally unbalancing it. It's, it's the worst metaphor for what he's just doing.
2: Mm.
5: Well, it, that's there, there's a number of metaphors within that. Yes, it's a lie. He gives her the illusion of balance, but in actual fact it's not. The sword or the knife is still bladed on both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it's the double-edged sword of being the one who does this ostensibly causes him pain and distress. I would possibly like to have seen a bit more of that pain and distress and, and there have been something suggesting that he doesn't actually want this burden mm. of glorious purpose at least not entirely
0: So more like a Coriolanus, less like a Steppenwolf mm.
5: <laughs> Yeah, but that, that may be why they took out the line about it being fun because that, that does sort of tilt it a little bit more in that direction yeah. which, which I did appreciate More measured appreciate. Yeah.
4: What annoyed me about the Asgardians is didn't they just lose over half their population in well the Ragnarok over. but here's and, the and thing. then that and h- then he shows up and kills half of them and then at the end he snaps his fingers and probably kills what's left like half of what's half left of
5: what's left yeah so the asgardians just keep you know being decimated but this is this is something that um I I mentioned to Alex as well his snap your fingers and half of them die thing is a little bit like Two Faces um, tossing the coin and, okay, you can live, but I'm going to shoot your driver in the back of the head. Because half of the people that he wipes out on Earth were flying helicopters or passenger planes or driving cars that also had people in.
0: Or operating nuclear power plants that, without their operation, would go into
3: meltdown. Yeah. You know, or or had children in the back seats of their cars who are stuck in and can't get out. Like, that. that is what is haunting about that is, you know, yes, he immediately kills half, but just thinking about the impact on that, it really tears into you in a way that if you, like, I'm really glad they didn't show more than what they did Because that would have pushed it way farther Into just absolute horror film
0: territory It's a Zack Snyder film suddenly Aeroplanes falling out of the sky in slow motion As someone sings
2: Everybody knows that the dice are loaded Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed Everybody knows the war is over Everybody knows the good guy's lost Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody
1: knows I saw it somewhere, I think on like TV tropes or someplace That every main hero that disappeared had a counterpart that was left behind Like hmm. uh, Thor and Black Panther were both kings and leaders of their people uh, Tony and and Strange were experts uh, genius type people magic versus science uh, Black Widow and Bucky Barnes assassins but but the thing is with, with Balance you had these, these two people on each sort of side of each of their, their respective thing you get rid of one and the Balance is destroyed so in bringing about Balance quote unquote Thanos actually has destroyed it.
3: Yeah, I wonder if part of what they're going to have to do, since we saw the force of of our our heroes, you know, their their fight, their their force of arms, their the violence, be unable to stop Thanos. Is I'm I'm wondering if what's really going to have to happen is is if there's going to have to be more of an exchange of ideas in an an actual philosophical debate as part of what ends up setting this to rights because, I mean, it is not a sane plan even if you can kind of understand Thanos' reasons for it. they need someone to talk to Thanos precipitating
0: the introduction of Squirrel Girl.
2: (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yes.
0: One of the only ones who could do it.
1: (laughs) I would see that movie six times. (laughs)
0: Absolutely,
5: yeah. yeah.
0: It's J.W.'s! I want to comment... (laughs) Why can't you kill him with a knife? (laughs) It is testament to Hemsworth's acting abilities that what you're describing here is this rage-filled monster. Daniel Craig in Quantum of Solace. I will have my revenge in this life or the next. Maximus could have come off as really fucking juvenile and like like something we've seen over and over again before. But there's the the, the whimsical sense of humour that he showed in uh, Thor Ragnarok is still there. He he was angry, but I think the the thing I got from him was still that there was that sadness there that in my youth I courted war from the original Avengers film
5: there is but something just occurred to me this is his vision from the pool yeah that he thought it was Ragnarok yeah it's not it's this yeah
0: and he did he did see the uh, Infinity Stones which yeah. of course was gave him the quest to go find them which he failed at so
5: yeah and the um, uh, the Looking over the fallen and being left alive mm. is Tony's vision.
0: Mm.
3: And the other, the other development that I would argue is very much in um, in the Guardians because you have Groot, the the kind of selfish insular teenager. He helps make the the he helps make Stormbreaker, but also you have both with Rocket and Peter. They display very different kinds of of selflessness. Rocket, who's been like, the entire previous Guardians movie was about how he is pushing people away because he is scared of the of the connections that he found and losing them. And when he says, okay, it's time to go be the captain, he seeks out a connection with Thor and is like, okay, I am going to choose to be nurturing even though I, I have no... Like, no stake in this. And and they even kind of like show that this is a little bit out of character for Arkett because when the Guardians show up, he's one of the, like, yeah, we're going to take their ship. We're pirates. And they have that little, we're pirates, we're mercenaries, you know, we're not actually going to take their ship, like, introduction to who they are and what they do. And then with Peter, uh, he's, I mean, he's still very much a child in some ways, but his whole, like, drive with his relationship with Gamora seemed very selfish in Guardians Volume 2 whereas he is willing to lose that because of the respect and love that he has for her in Infinity War so that's that's kind of two very different types of of growing selflessness in previously very selfish characters that I'm kind of surprised didn't happen in their in their own movies cuz that's such a big beat for them
5: mm. doing something that is painful to him supremely painful to him because she has asked I know I'm going back to my earlier point here but um, Steve's nightmare vision was um, going back home and nobody being there and he's almost got going back home with Bucky and then Bucky disappears
3: oh god we were so close to decently well adjusted Bucky like he smiled at one point and oh ah. Oh.
0: Or Steve. Uh, which were your favorite new meetings between characters who had never met before, and why?
1: Bucky and Rocket. I was about to say that.
3: <laughs>
0: oh, that was so great. I'm totally. Getting How much that for arm? the arm? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Tony and, and Strange and Spider-Man kind of meeting each other and then meeting the Guardians was is Footloose still the greatest movie ever? It never was. <laughs> <laughs> For my part, I
0: absolutely adored pretty much every single moment with Peter Parker. Honestly, he's well, one of my favorite uh, components of the MCU. I love this kid. And uh, uh, yeah. uh, it, that, that broke me. Honestly, that broke me the first time. The second time, I didn't cry really much at anything because I knew what was happening and because of the aforementioned grieving malfunction. But um, Tom Holland's performance at the very end, it's the fact that he says, Sir, I don't want to go. Oh, It's like he's a private in the First World War desperately clinging to his captain after he's just been mortally shot. Or he's a young knight looking up to an old knight. It's not coincidental that Tony mock knights him with his hand when he says, you're an Avenger. And it doesn't matter how shiny the armor is, he's still going to die. Fucking hell, I was holding myself.
1: Yeah, yeah. That was a gut punch.
3: Yeah, Holland and, and Vision and Wanda, the, the I will only feel you, there's some... Also, just the the concept of, like, a noble heroic sacrifice that just fails totally mm. is, like, a, a just a double whammy of, oh, God, it was all for nothing. Oh, no.
5: And here's the thing. When those sacrifices take place, when somebody is called upon to kill someone they love or, at the very least, let them be killed... The person who is sacrificed kind of gets the better end of the deal because they don't have to live with that anymore.
2: Hmm. The person
5: Uh who's done it, Wanda has to live with the fact that she did that even though it didn't work, even though it achieved nothing.
0: Hmm. Lasting impact.
5: Hmm. She can't even take comfort in the idea that she did it with love and kindness because he got killed with disrespect and... Contempt, anyway.
0: Even Gamora attempts a noble self-sacrifice, snatching the dagger and trying to pale herself before she's thrown. Uh, the reaction when uh, he's told by Red Skull, "Woo, Red Skull!" Uh, uh, I was so happy.
3: <laughs> I was so happy about that. It
0: was almost like the wrong place to put him because you're still so busy like asking questions about, well, how did he get here? Where, like, you know, but So that when he's like telling you this really fucked up magical binding spell, I might add, where it's like, th- whoever put the soul gem down there is like, well, I want to make sure that whoever gets this is broken inside and thus is totally wrong for y- wielding it. I want to make sure that the person holding this is a shell. Good idea. Mm. How about you can only have the soul stone if you're really, really fucking nice?
5: Yeah, you can only get it by bringing somebody back to life.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> but,
5: it's like the curse they put on the mummy's tomb.
0: But I, <clears throat> uh, when he first said, um, you know, you must kill what you love, and Gamora spent a long time dancing around the idea. She was like, ha, 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 you love nothing. And I was just sat thinking... You can't not get this. And then I thought, okay, the knife didn't work. Take a running leap, because like if you leap, you can turn around and flip in the bird as you go down, going, you didn't sacrifice me. But I feel like even if she had attempted that, he would simply have grabbed her in midair and then thrown her again. It, it's, a, it's a very well-executed scene. And Zoe Saldana, you know, once again proving she's a fantastic actress
5: they play with the idea of powerlessness in this over and over again Mm. these are all heroes of power who have demonstrated their power repeatedly and when it comes down to it each one of them has their power taken away from them in some way that's part of hulk refusing to come out which leaves banner powerless mm.
0: they never mention that hulk is scared hulk got beaten hulk was sure hulk was the strongest he had he got, he got a little uh unsure about it during uh, ragnarok and obviously hulk is now a vulnerable toddler and so when when he went up against thanos and got his ass handed to him he doesn't want to come out because he's scared and they didn't have any time to really explore that. And Mark Ruffalo was a little bit too much of a goofball. That was one of the only bum notes for me. Like, he's, he's leaping around in the Hulk Buster rather than nurturing the Hulk and understanding why he's not coming out.
5: Mm. Yeah, I, I do understand what you mean about the time to explore. I think one of the only things that I wasn't overly keen on was, I know, like, what you said, Brendan, about well-adjusted Bucky and he actually smiled, but I was like, that's way too sudden and there's no time to explore any of his character changes and Mm. that's he's one of my favorite characters two and a a half hours is still my favorite
3: i I wouldn't have minded another you know 15 20 minutes of of just you know more breathing space i I like some of the things we got like tony and pepper um you know the the guardians and thor having a my my crazy family sort of competition and Mm. You know, stuff like that, or, or even just, like, little notes like Vision, Wanda, just kind of discussing. Like, I, I would have loved to have ten more scenes just like that of someone saying, hey, you know, catching up and just, like, talking to to each other just because it's... I mean, that's kind of what I go to see these movies for is not just to watch Peter jump on Doctor Strange's spell platforms, but to watch Doctor Strange and Tony Stark kind of have a, a morality pragmatism off.
0: Mm. I, I, that was one of my favorite couplings, those two. They've, they've, they've got such strong charisma, and so I was i was waiting for that one to happen.
1: Or yeah. a right, Sherlock off. As <laughs> yes. I yeah. it? And, and both of them getting a taste of, wow, that's what it's like to talk to me.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, they didn't get like the, uh, the big Bucky holding Rocket up to to do the, the round robin, but just Rocket and Thor bouncing off each other I liked a whole lot. Um, I don't know if this counts as a coupling, but... Peter Dinklage and being the biggest dwarf in the universe mm. <laughs> was that just was a really awesome. great visual gag.
5: Mm-hmm. <sighs> I like that.
3: And I, I liked I mean, getting to see him play with Hemsworth a little bit. That was fun. Yeah.
5: Mm. At the risk of sounding flip, Natasha and Natasha's new hair. Mm. But
4: I really liked seeing Rhodes and Sam broing out a little bit since the yes, last time yes. they really saw each other was at the end of Civil War and that wasn't great. And
3: and then he's looking for Sam at the very end, and you're like, oh god, he doesn't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Heartbeat
4: detected. Emergency medical is on its way.
1: Sorry. Rhodey trolling uh, Bruce when they come into Wakanda. Should
0: we bow? Yeah, he's a king. Seems like I'm always thanking you for something. What are you doing? Uh, We. We don't do that here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, you should bow. totally bow. Um, it was wonderful to see Shuri again, and I was thinking, right, there's no way to get Shuri to meet Stark. Maybe in the next movie, question mark, fingers crossed, but it, it was just lovely to see her Her saying, why didn't you do this, that, and the other, and, and Banner going, well, we didn't think of it. Like, you are, you are suddenly <laughs> in the presence of the smartest person in the world, Bruce.
3: I'm sure you did the best you could. <laughs>
0: Oh, I, it's
5: okay. You go lie down.
0: One very small thing I noticed, to which I now realise Ruffalo's done since day one, is he fidgets with his hands. He's like always, like kind of like grasping at, at himself, just as a kind of like a, a way to keep calm or just um, or, or because he's nervous. It's just it's a really nice little affectation, and um, I'm, I'm worried that we won't get to see much more of it because I don't know what's
3: going to happen. It's kind of like he's checking to make sure his hands are still the same size. Mm. That, he's, that he's not like all of a sudden got big green sausage fingers or something. Yeah.
1: yeah. Fidgeting is a, is a centering technique that a lot of the ADD people uh, have. That makes and,
0: sense. And
1: uh, it's like I, I do it all the time just to sort of keep myself. In... I, I take my fidget cube into movies and I find that I eat less junk food. Huh. <laughs> because my, hand, yeah. my hands are busy. Of course.
5: <laughs> I um, run my thumb or my finger in a circle around my palm when I'm having panic attacks and anxiety attacks mm. and it helps to kind of mm-hmm.
1: ground me a little bit
0: How but- did the humour sit with you guys?
1: Uh, some of it came a little fast, and I missed some of it because my my packed theater was busy laughing at line <laughs> one, and I didn't catch line two. So I'm going to have to go back and see it. I don't I don't know if I will ever be emotionally in a place where I can do that. Hmm. Uh, I'll probably see it again next time when 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 the Blu-ray is released. Uh, so I don't know. I it it was a little too, you know just one after the other line. When when the humor spots hit, it's like, you know, chuckle, 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 big action piece. Doom, you know. <laughs> but that, if that's my only complaint about this movie, it's done pretty good.
3: Invisible Drax is one of the greatest things that I have seen Dave <laughs> Bautista do with the history of movies.
1: <laughs> I forgot about that.
3: Like, I agree with you. There's, there's some places where I was like, Having to really strain to hear the next the next joke after the first joke, um, but there are a couple that were allowed to really play like really long that I was it, that felt very James Gunn, even though it wasn't a James Gunn movie. I thought they mm. kind of captured a few specific filmmaker flavors really well. Like when Doctor Strange is being tortured, I mean that that does feel a little bit like some of the really like. Sort of horrific magic stuff that Scott Derrickson was mm. was doing with the darker elements of Doctor of Doctor Strange as a film.
0: You actually have to tip your hat to the Russo brothers for for, for being able to emulate multiple different flavors. Mm. That that is a tough job.
3: Yeah, Whedon all just like it's we didn't did a really didn't good think. job but it was everyone felt like they were just stepping into a Joss Whedon movie, and it, it kind of worked because he's just kind of good at juggling group dynamics. But this felt like characters inhabiting very specific spaces unto their own idioms. It kind of worked with Cap, now that I think about it, in that
0: Steve was walking out of his very simple movie that we'd just seen, where everyone says what they're thinking... And now he's suddenly surrounded by these snappy talkers and crazy technology. So he has this permanent frown on his face because he's trying to just try to keep up. It seems to run on some kind of electricity. So there's a sympathetic kind of straight man thing he's doing, Mm. which worked really well with the original uh, chemistry of the Avengers. And that is still a freaking fantastic film. Mm. I adore it.
5: I think the the way the humour plays out for me was... Some of it worked, some of it didn't, and it, it goes in particular groups. I think there's a there's a kind of humour-free zone that sits around Chris Evans. Um, there's not didn't really seem to be an awful lot of fun happening in his headspace, and, and certainly not in his black totally suit worked. here. Yeah. yeah, and then you've got James Gunn's humour from the Guardians films, right. kind of does a sliding scales. so they start out doing their usual back and forth cheeky comedy but their story gradually gets more and more tragic and the humor just bleeds out of it and it's yeah. it's very consistent in how it goes and peter does not get his cheeky chappy back and i think that would have been the biggest misfire for me if he had so the fact that a lot of the humor elements that I think some people had issues with were kind of around the the Thor gang. That, to me, more or less did fit with how Thor has always played out in the past, which is that he's laughing at things that he doesn't quite understand and people are laughing at things around him Mm. because he doesn't quite understand something. When he's calling Rocket Rabbit, we find that funny because it's ridiculous because there's this running joke about people not getting... Rocket species, right? Mm. But that's not funny to him.
0: Then again, Thor is fifteen hundred years old by his own admission. He doesn't seem to be fifteen hundred years wise. He should by now know what a rabbit isn't. Yeah, there was kind of a, a, a part way between Thor in Avengers and Thor in Ragnarok in how he was being conveyed here. I did notice when he he was talking about the tragedy of his uh, uh, his life. Um, they mentioned his his father died, his sister died, his brother died. Uh, He mentioned his best friend was stabbed in the chest. I thought, oh, yeah, Fandral was stabbed in the chest. Oh, no, Hogan was stabbed in the chest. Oh, and Volstagg was also stabbed in the chest. Oh, he means Heimdall was stabbed in the (laughs) chest. And it's like, how many of his best friends could they possibly just dispose of to get rid of them because they don't know what to do with Thor's supporting cast? And ultimately their decision was kill them. Kill them all. Or if they're Lady Sif or Valkyrie, have them evaporate and never get mentioned.
5: One thing I did really appreciate after seeing this, this is going to sound like a really backhanded compliment, but it proved to me how well Chris Hemsworth works in a Taika Waititi movie. Mm. He directs him really, really well.
4: Yeah. Well, don't my dad send me just before I No. Me either, because I wasn't
2: there.
0: I was too busy obsessing on my gamma ray experiments. I missed my own father's death because I was focusing on my destiny. But I didn't miss my father's death because he was murdered right in front of me by my sister, whom I didn't even know existed because she was kept a secret from me my whole life. I'm really sorry, that was a terrible comparison. It just had nothing to do with what you're going through. And my family, it's like with. Cursed to fight amongst ourselves while everyone else suffers for it. Now Asgard's in ruins and, well, this this sister Hela, I don't even know if I can beat her.
4: You're Thor. You could kill your sister. Yeah, I'm
0: Thor without his hammer.
4: You're not the god of hammers. You're Dumbo.
0: Doesn't sound like a compliment.
4: It's totally a compliment. Dumbo! Dumbo!
0: This sounds like you're calling me Dumbo over and over again. Dumbo! (laughs) Say once more and I'll tell you that head
4: off. elephant who thinks he can fly because he has a magical feather. And then he loses his feather one day and he realizes it didn't have anything to do with him flying at all. It was what was inside of him, you know? It not anything to do with this freaking feather, man.
0: For me, the humor um, was good the first time because it relieved the tension because obviously you're going and you go oh god no uh, but there were times when i was like oh no this is this is really going out of control and you're trying to make me laugh at the funny funny this doesn't quite work the second time i saw it i barely laughed at all because i was I just i just felt sad watching the whole movie just watching the events play out and it's it became very clear this was gallows humor that they're using to keep themselves going because without it, it becomes a DC movie. It becomes super self-serious. And Return of the King, I suppose, is, is, is a better comparison. Because it's, it's, it's got that truth and heart to it. And there weren't too many jokes after the, the body started falling in Return of the King. And this honestly feels like the part where Frodo sends Sam away... And Faramir's been shot with arrows, and at the same time, you know, jump forwards a bit, and Grond is being brought forward to break open the gates of Minas Tirith. It feels like halfway through Return of the King. And although the, the dust will settle, and there'll be a new dawn, and they'll regroup and do something with it, it has that sense of pushing you through the emotional ringer. So when I watch Return of the King, I expect this level of emotional exhaustion.
5: But you're right about that. Gallows humour and anybody who's worked in um, emergency services, I would guess probably has a similar dark way of looking at things sometimes that you have to laugh at the things that no one else will laugh at sometimes because otherwise you don't get up.
4: Hmm.
3: I appreciate that they kind of eased off on it as the movie went on. There are still a couple beats, like you had um, Okoye's absolutely awesome. Why was she up there this whole time <laughs> when when Scarlet Witch just like slams down the big spinny wheel tanks? But mm-hmm. I, I, it really does sort of start trading in the the humor for more of like action crowd pleasing moments. That would be you're less likely to laugh and more likely to be like, oh thank goodness in relief. I was very glad that it was there because, like, this movie gave me a literal stress headache. It was, like, I was sitting there with, like, clenched teeth and tensed muscles because I was like, oh, my God. Because, like, you know, like you said, you know, from the very beginning, you you go, oh, this is, we, we've already lost all these people. This is, I... I might have um, underestimated the body count
0: here, yeah, the stakes could not be higher there's no uh, there's no higher stakes in any other film unless there's a film anyone can mention where the entire universe gets destroyed.
5: One thing what that's... about
3: Thor the Dark World? I mean, technically, the, the whole darkness... Sta- yeah, it just, just to the make the, the world down. dark, though. People are going, oh, this is rubbish. I've got to keep the lights
0: on all the time. Thank you, Dark Elves. Are you happy? We're never happy. We know. <laughs>
5: <I> <laughs> yeah. think... Could you turn it
0: back on again? No.
5: The one thing... <laughs> we like the dark. ...that I think um, tells you the the angle that they were going for with the humour is the fact that there is no immediate post credit sequence at the end.
0: Yeah. Everyone was waiting for that little breathe out and
5: Yeah, and they didn't get, didn't get one. And then my audience were all sat there kind of looking at each other going, Is anything coming? Is anything coming? They started giggling nervously when the you know when the titles came up Infinity War and then yeah. crumbled to dust? People too soon, thinking, Marvel. <laughs> too soon. Yeah, they were like, well, it's, what, "We're waiting for the release of the bubble to be burst." Just and stroke us, next. stroke it, us. It didn't. It didn't happen. And then people started getting up and leaving, and there was this genuine tone of real confusion about what the hell just happened what did I see was that an actual movie did it finish is there a missing reel that we should have seen and an usher had to come in and tell everybody there is something at the very end I, I recommend you sit back down
0: yeah but even so that's good people make people go that didn't explain anything at all why has it got a beeper Oh <laughs> uh,
1: jeez, and two guys like my whole theater stayed just dead silent when the credits rolled because we were all just in that oh 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 shit moment mm. you know headspace really? after everything in the credits roll and two guys two rows in front of me stand up and start to leave and because because of what I would just witnessed I had no filter left I said where are y'all going and they <laughs> just sort of they just sort of sheepishly sat back
0: down <laughs> <laughs> you're ready to be a grandma <laughs> where <are> y'all going
1: <laughs> where are y'all going
0: you sit back <laughs> down till we say grace
2: <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> About Thanos, is, I like how he was all armored up uh, in in previous films. You know, with the mm. it was like ceremonial; it was very you know showy. Mm. But when he showed up in Infinity War. It's like just just a shirt and pants and shoes, and that's it. I'm, I'm not here to, to, to make an appearance. I'm here to, to get work done. He was, yeah, he was, he was serious about what he was doing.
0: Yeah,
5: And the next one, he turns up in his pajamas.
0: Honestly, I think that the next time we see him, he'll be working like he'll be farming. He'll be just like growing stuff on his own and living out in somewhere you know, in solitude.
3: As a sidebar, I love how he goes out of his way not to kill people he doesn't have to. Mm. Like, I mean, he he kills Heimdall almost in a fit of pique, and he kills Loki because he pledges fealty and then betrays him immediately. But, I mean, Drax and Mantis, he could have just killed. And Peter, he specifically says, I like you, bye. And he He even spares
0: Wanda's hair, like in a kind of, I I kind of feel sorry for you because you just had to do what I just had to do.
3: And he and he then like spares Tony's life um, when Strange relinquishes a stone, and like how many other bad guys are like, aha, I have the stone, I kill you anyway. I'm so bad, aha. He destroys,
5: but what he doesn't do when he does those um, half the population gone things is he doesn't choose mm. when he when, with Gamora's people. He tells them to divide into two halves. He doesn't tell them who's going to stand on which side, and, mm. and then he decides which side goes, or, or even that may be random. Hmm. certainly i he, think when he when he clicks his fingers on the gauntlet I, the the amount of fine control he has over who goes and who stays may be pretty minimal
0: yeah oh no I, I, it never occurred to me that that he's thinking about who's going yeah, yeah. he just asked that the gauntlet do this
1: hmm. he so <clears throat> thoroughly believes that what he's doing is the correct thing yeah. it, it, there, there's there's not a doubt in his mind that you know like he, he says, you know, after I do all this, I will take a breath and look out on a grateful universe. Is that He, he expects people to go, oh, Thanos was right. Cool. We'll just, you know, go on about our lives with, with half our loved ones just gone. Hmm. Uh, he, he expects, you know, after the dust dies down that everything will be fine. Well, what he's really done is just pissed off everybody who's left.
2: You, big fella. You've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan.
0: When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. If you liked the poetry and the prose at the beginning of this episode, if it moved you, if you felt something, if you'd like to see what else I can do with atmospheric fiction, get yourself listening to Let Them Go. That's the first story in my weekly audio drama, The New Century Multiverse. This particular story is designed to feel like a gothic romance horror of the kind that will stick in your head. It's a new beginning for the series, perfect for newcomers. Here's a clip. Where the waves of moonlight glosses, the dim grey sands with light, far off by furthest rosses, we foot it all the night. Weaving olden dances, mingling hands and mingling glances, till the moon has taken flight, to and fro we leap and chase the frothy bubbles while the world is full of troubles and is anxious in its sleep. Come away, O human child, to the waters and the wild, with a fairy hand in hand. For the world's more full of weeping than you can understand. From the Stolen Child by William Butler Yeats. This Avengers recording actually went on for about two and a half very unfocused hours, and what you're hearing now is the absolute best hour of that. Everything else that got rambling and silly and wildly speculative as to what might be coming next is going into an 80-minute-long bonus show called Beyond Infinity that will be available this weekend for all of our $5 and up patrons. Now, if you're a patron, you might not know you can do this. Go to the front page of the Patreon, look in the top right-hand corner, paste the RSS feed code you find there into your podcatcher, and subscribe to what I call Alexander Shaw's Audio Club. That means you can get all the stuff downloaded directly to your phone. That's all the preview shows. Everyone, $3 and up, gets every show two days early. And all the rest of that bonus content, you just download it directly to your phone rather than having to go through the browser. Our special $15 sponsors get a shout-out every episode, so all the love in the world to the insanely beautiful Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron LeCluze, David Garcia Abril, and Lorraine Chisham. And welcome back, Kieran Datchler. We missed you. Okay, so thank you to all of our guests. Lauren Grieve.
4: Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to hearing the feedback on the Guillermo del Toro films after those come out.
0: <laughs> so wait this This is going to be one of our best series coming up, folks. If you are unfamiliar with Guillermo del Toro films, now is the time to get familiar. What's the best one to start with, do you guys think?
5: Probably Hellboy.
0: Hellboy's, honestly, I'd say Devil's Backbone. Go full Del Toro. It's one of his best. It's a wonderful, simple, elegant, delicate, frightening ghost story. It is a gothic romance, uh, and it should go without saying, if you love The Devil's Backbone, you'll love Let Them Go. If you love Let Them Go, you'll love The Devil's Backbone. One of my favorites of his, and it's available on DVD for nothing. And Blu-ray, which you actually should get, because it looks
4: wonderful in HD, for a little bit more. Especially if you can get the Criterion Collection, and mm. it complements Pan's Labyrinth, which is a much more widely seen film very well. That
0: grinding sound you can hear, folks, is my teeth. They are not available in the UK. And that would be fine, but they're region locked. If you're American, though, enjoy that Criterion Edition.
4: <laughs> and I have to just rub it in a little bit every episode. Every so time.
0: Okay. <laughs> and Theo... Just don't start with Mimic. Oh, Christ, no, don't start with me. Yeah, don't do del Toro in chronological order. That's The chronological del Toro is not a happy journey. And Theo Lee, thank you very, very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, Brendan, where can people find your work?
3: Uh, the most recent thing I did was um, talking about our favorite entries of the Marvel Cinematic Universe at synapse.co, which is C-I-N-A-P-S-E.co. Um, where I contributed a a thing about the feelings that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 gives me. Okay. We will be back next week with, oh, Fright Night.
0: It's a bit bit of a sideways step on this one, but it is a a classic pair of vampire films. The original, which is great, and the remake, which is even better. Mm -hmm. So, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And School's out. Out.
2: In the road More than friends I always pledge Cause friends they can't go People change as does everything I wanted to grow I just want to grow old slide on next to me. I'm just a human being. I will take the blame, but just the same. This is not me. You see, believe. my fourth now I've been caught a sickness in my bones How it pains to leave you here with the kids on your own just don't let me go help me see myself cause I can no longer tell Looking out from the inside of the bottom of somewhere. It's hell, I hear. no one hears before I disappear. Whisper in my ear. Give me something. I'm here, I'm here, but not much longer.